Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Orange and Backcheck Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. All right, I said we were done for the week, but we had, I mean, it's been breaking news ever since we recorded our 100th episode, and that's just the way it goes. We had to call in the big guns here. I mean, <laughs> writer for The Crossing Broad, co-host of the Snow the Goalie podcast and the intermission show uh, at the uh, at the Wells Fargo Center. Crossing Broad's Anthony D- Sanfilippo. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for uh, thanks for the introduction. It's a shame we haven't done the uh, intermission show uh, for a while, and I blame Russ for that because <laughs> look, he's the tech guy, right? So he does all the technology for us, and he's got some kind of like crazy program on his computer that allows us to do that to you know bring in all the comments and everything, and he just hasn't been coming to games. Uh, he's doing oh, all this because no. now crossing broad, we do all this betting stuff and he's writing all these betting previews and he gets so bogged down. I say, Hey, so I'm going to see you at the game tonight. He's like, no, nah, it's too far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you know, it's funny because uh, I'm mutual friends with Kevin Kincaid uh, okay. and Sarah Kincaid's a colleague of mine. Okay. And when I catch it, when I have the few minutes to catch up with Kevin, it's always, yeah, man, we're just all about betting and the flyers and obviously the Eagles. Like that's, that's the niche of the crossing broad at this point. Yeah, it, it kind of is. I mean, I, the stuff that, you know, I end up writing for hockey, it ends up kind of like being like, oh, oh yeah, they're writing about the hockey team again. But uh, yeah, it's it's more about it's more about betting. As a matter of well, fact, you- I, mean, I, do, I do some of the betting previews for them, too. I, I started doing the Flyers now, and now that New York's got um, legalized gambling, I'm doing Rangers and Sabres for them as well. So yeah. it's kind of kind of crazy. Well, the last one of the most more recent pieces, and I think the most recent piece you wrote, I mean, was just an evisceration of the squad. Uh, mm-hmm. of the team after uh, their 6-2 loss on quote-unquote national television. We'll get into <laughs> it. What I wanted to talk with you first is like you're you're kind of getting a lot of praise again. I mean, you had early on reporting about the Hextall era, the controversies that we're now starting to see about those, Sam Moran's injury. I mean, you're kind of getting your – finally getting your, your due on Twitter uh, the, after the Twitter trolls came after you. I mean, you were on top of this stuff, the knee injury to Sam Hextall and Bobby Clark's comments. I mean, when you see that kind of stuff, what goes through your mind when you're publicly proven right by a guy like Bobby Clark? You know, it, it doesn't really, you know, I, I well, hey, I appreciate it. Right. I mean, obviously, but, um, you know, I even when I'm getting dunked on or getting dragged through the mud or whatever, it really doesn't doesn't bother me. Right. I've been doing this for over 20 years um, and I know that the way I report it's kind of an old school journalistic style, right? It's not something that the people on this beat do nowadays. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the last 
the last man standing from the old school style. And so, I, but I know in my heart that what I'm putting out there is accurate. I know that it's, it's, it's sourced information that is legitimately good sourced information. Sometimes people forget that I did work for the team for two years. Um, so I, I do have a lot of connections because of that. Um, and, and so, you know, look, I mean, sometimes I feel like I have to, I have to argue with people a little bit because they're so outrageous. But at other times, it's like, you know what? You don't want to believe me. Don't believe me. Uh, it'll prove itself. It'll come out in the wash and you'll, you'll see eventually, um, you know, and, and the way I operate is, is that people will give me information because I don't put their name out there because I protect them. Um, right. And, and that's how I keep getting that info. Right. So, you know, if I was to burn a source, for example, what good would that do me? Right. I've been in this, I've been at this game for as long as I have. It doesn't do me any good to, to do that. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm just going to keep putting it out there. And the other thing that I always tell people is this. Having done this now, 20, this is my 22nd year with the fly, covering the Flyers in some capacity. I don't I, I'm not trying to make a name for myself. Right. So like if, if I'm to put something out there, it's not like, oh, look at me. Look at me. I got something for you to see. I'm not, I don't have to play that game anymore. Like I, I kind of know where I fit in the grand scheme of things here. Um, I, I, I'm never going to have more than 20,000 Twitter followers. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I've always been in that 15 to 20,000 range. That's yeah. what it's going to be. And that's, that's fine. So I'm not like, did you, did you see a bump after the, this, the story came out with Bobby Clark or was it no. just, no. no, I mean, a couple, I mean, like, I mean, I, I use tweet deck, so I get like, you know, all the sure. notifications, right. Yeah. A few a few, but I also get people drop off too. So, yeah. So when my intro to stick on the Bobby Clark stuff, cause obviously yeah. that was the big story this week. I, I mean, he eviscerated Hextall. Um, my interpretation of it and, and I'll get yours and lead into yours. I think it's a little bit of revisionist history of that draft a little bit. I, I think between Nico, he eventually going to the devils, obviously. And then Nolan Patrick was just there. I think that was the guy that every, make our, was obviously taken number three with the with, to Colorado, but no one really knew what Makar was. As Scott will say, like no one really knows outside of maybe two or three players at most in the NHL in the NHL entry draft. So when when I hear Bobby Clark saying that no one wanted Nolan Patrick, that may be true in the room, but at the same time, outside of the, the NHL, everyone in the NHL was saying that Nolan Patrick was the number two pick. And that's what drove Hextall's hand, I think, at the end of the end of that day. That's a very interesting take, Bill. And it's it's I think it's well thought out. And and it's it's, <laughs> Thank it's you. It, no, seriously. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, it's what you know, you sit there and you're, and you're analyzing it and you're and you're, you know, trying to kind of put the puzzle pieces together. It's what we all do. Right. So we all kind of right. do. We try and read between the lines. Um, I, I can tell you, though, that I think it's I don't think it's revisionist history. And I'll, I'll explain to you why. First of all, let's start with just Clark's the interview that he's that he's doing right um, with Andy Strickland and, and Cam Jansen. So they have him on for this extensive interview. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the whole thing, but I mean, it is an extensive interview. It takes him back to growing up and playing hockey in Flin Flon and like all the way through getting drafted and playing for the Flyers and then becoming a GM and blah, blah, blah. And then they eventually get to the current team. OK, so this is this this is a long interview. So in the process of this interview, it's not like Clark went on this interview specifically to say, 
I'm going to go on there and, and burn down Ron Hextall and say, that's the reason why the team's in the spot that it's in right now. Okay. Right. Yeah. He didn't know what questions were coming. He just answered in turn. And then you even hear him say later when he talked about the Ryan O'Reilly trade that he's like, I'm probably talking too much now. He, that those are exact words <laughs> right. out of his mouth. Like, yeah. like he caught himself saying, okay, I probably have said too much at this point. Um, and uh, uh, so, th- so that's number one. So that's why I don't think that this was something that was like, a preconceived plan. Like he went into this phone call planning on doing this. Like, I don't think that at all. Um, and secondly, I can tell you with with hundred percent certainty because I first wrote this story. It's gotta be 15 months ago, I think, or maybe even a little bit longer now that they wanted. Now I, the way I wrote it, cause the way it was told to me um, was that it was either Makar or Miro Heiskanen, who went to Dallas. Actually, Heiskanen went before McCartney. Heiskanen went three to Dallas. Yeah, right. Sorry. And then McCarr went to Colorado. Right. Hey, you made the same mistake Bobby Clark did. He yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's so, probably why I had it in my head. Like, Bobby <laughs> Clark said three. It's got to be right. Right, exactly. Um, so they, they the, the scouts and every scout said, we like both defensemen better than Patrick. Now, was there a lot of people who said, Nolan Patrick is, you know, consensus number one or consensus top two is between him and, and Heeshear, right? Um, yeah, but who are those people that are saying that those are right. people that are media people and that's really what they are, who are paid to their Mel Kuypers is really what they are. And so we're going to sit there and say, okay, so this is the Mel Kuyper people in hockey telling you that Nolan Patrick is one or two, but each team's got a different list and every team's list is completely different. And this is how I'll make one final uh, correlation for you. When I worked for the Flyers, you can go back on YouTube and you can find it. Um, I, I produced a, uh, a, a behind-the-scenes video series um, called Flight Plan. And it was all about – it started the very first two episodes. Uh, Scott's like, oh, my God, that was you? You did yeah, this? I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I absolutely remember that. Yeah. Um, so the first two episodes were all about the draft that led to them leading drafting Sam Moran. Um, and one of the things that was really kind of funny is we were, they allowed us access into the room. I was in the draft room with them while they were planning their meetings and we had our cameraman and up on the wall, they had their list. I mean, one to 350, whatever the hell it was. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. They had every name up there. And so then when we gave it to them for approval before we put it out publicly, they said, Oh no, you guys need to blur out the names. We don't want everybody to see the list. And it's like, Oh man. So we went back into pre into production and we, put a blurring mechanism but even with the blurring you could see and and some internet sleuths figured out the list in the order that the flyers had it it certainly was different than mm-hmm. what the you know your the the, the uh, prognosticators were predicting right um one to 30 if you want to go to the first round right so everything was different and they moved people around and like you you could they actually mentioned a few names you could see where they had moran move ahead of a couple people they actually had moran i think like seventh sixth or seventh and he gets drafted 13th so i mean so, so there is some flexibility there so each team's list is going to be different because basically it's based off what their scouts are seeing so i so i sit there and say you know yeah i can see why people think it's revisionist history but if you piece together the interview, the the information that I know from talking to people that uh, uh, over a year ago when I first wrote it, and then also how those draft rooms work, I don't necessarily think it was. I think it was just Bob finally just letting out some frustration yeah. unexpectedly. 
Yeah, and and in in a weird way, like this is obviously going to be a leap, a small leap to make this comparison because NHL draft and the NFL draft is so different. Like we talk about development of players in the NHL, how long it takes. I mean, Moran just trying to develop his the through these ACL injuries. But when I like, it just seemed it's the equivalent almost as if Joe Banner got on the the equivalent of the Andy Strickland con, uh, podcast and said. Howie Roseman was the only one in the room that said Carson Wentz is our guy. We got to draft him. And it blew up on his face the same way. Number two pick consent at the time, just like you're saying media is, it, but we said we had high hopes for Nolan Patrick. We certainly, like, I don't think that was any way where we were disappointed. We were disappointed that what the outcome was. He's now in Vegas. He did the, the head injuries or excuse me, the, the migraine problems and all that. So, and then obviously Carson Wentz with the knee problems, the back problems, all that stuff. We don't need to go through it. That's that's a comparison I kind of view there. Do you do, is that a stretch or what do you think? Um, I, well, it, it's it's fair. I think it's, it's you're exactly right. I mean, it would be the the same like like uh, Joe Banner doing that, right? That would be the, exactly the same thing, um, except that I think that there's two small caveats that I would put on put to this that's a little bit different. One, Bob Clark is not a guy who's trying to work in this industry anymore. He's long retired he's just the icon of this of this franchise yeah and he's the kind of guy who every once in a while you get him talking he might say something outrageous something that you weren't expecting him to say you know like i, I can tell you that there were there were time there was a time um when i was covering him when he was the gm uh back in the early 2000s we were in montreal and he told us that keith primo was going to retire um, oh, wow. We, he comes and sits down, literally. We're sitting in the press room at, uh, at the, at the uh, not the format, but the Bell Center in, in Bell Montreal. Center, yeah. And he comes and sits down with us. Says, hey, you know, how are you guys doing? It was me and two other writers. And he says, uh, hey, I'm going to tell you guys something, but you can't report it. Keith Primo is going to retire. <laughs> and we were like, what do you mean? What do you mean we can't report it? Well, that's a huge story. Yeah, it's like, what do you mean we can't report it. He's like, can't report it yet, but just so you guys just get it ready, get it prepared. We'll put it something out and I'll, you know, I'll let you guys know when it's coming. And it's like, and it, we were, we sat there like, what do we do with this? Like, how, yeah. do, how do we, like, we now call Primo, do we call his agent? Like, what do we, like, there was all kinds of different, like, you know, pull and, but it's all because Bob came in and just decided that he wanted to talk that day. Yeah. He just wanted to blurt something out. I mean, that's just the way Bob is as, as a person. So, so no, it doesn't surprise me that he did it. I mean, it, it does and it doesn't, it, it does that it, it, that it just came out yesterday, just kind of arbitrarily but it also doesn't surprise me because i know bob and how he is and how he the just the timing was, was impeccable that's for sure the it time certainly was yeah it certainly was <laughs> you know it's funny i think back when you mentioned that flight plan i think i kind of remember a scene from that where i think it was chris Pryor kind of yelling at the team like we got to make sure this is right this has got to be the right pick i kind of like yep. vaguely remember that because i remember seeing that behind the scenes at the time you're like this is fantastic i remember that so that yeah. was you hell of a job man. thank, that was thank you yeah I the story behind that is, is that um, flight plan would have probably still been going today, all these years later. Um, we got into an, an art, and this is not really a, uh, I'm breaking a story for you guys here years later on your podcast. So here you go. Um, uh, we, everybody loved it. Fans loved it. Flight plan was the greatest thing ever. But there was some, there's something in the uh, contract for what is now NBC Sports Philly, um, but at the time was Comcast Sportsnet. Um, that as the rights holder, no one can produce video about the team without their permission 
that was longer than uh, five minutes. What? No, <laughs> produ- no produced video. Um, no, nothing, nothing that would be like a produced video package of more than five minutes without their permission. So we start doing flight plan. We're putting these episodes together like 20 minutes long. And they're like, uh, they started complaining. They complained. Comcast complained to the flyers. So we got called into a meeting. And they were like, no, you can't do this. And I remember getting mad and saying, saying, well, the only reason that they were, they're upset about this is because they didn't think of it. <laughs> right. It was, so, so then I was like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to keep doing it. And we did it, but we broke them up into five minute segments. So if you look, go, go back and remember, like after like four or five episodes, they were in part one, five yeah. minutes, part uh-huh. two, five yep. minutes, part three. Yep. And they really got pissed off at us <laughs> at that point. They yeah. really, because I was like, hey, they're only five minutes long. That's what you said. We could have limited them to five. So, but that eventually led to some consternation down the road. And we had a Nick's flight plan at that point, um, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a fun thing. And especially the beginning part with the draft to be able to be in those rooms and listen to the scouts and talk to the scouts and, um, you know, and yeah, you're right. Pryor was like fired up about it. And then they bring Homer in because Homer, Homer was a GM, but Homer was not really scouting players. Like it was, this was Chris Pryor's baby. Right. And yeah, Homer would yeah. come in and just be like, okay, guys, where are we at? Um, and so then they, you know, they bring him in and then they show him where he's at and he's getting ready to say something like nasty. And then he looks up and he sees the cameras in his face. Like if you, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he, but he said something about like they're overthinking things or whatever, but I don't remember the exact quote, but if you go back to the end of that first episode, he's about to say something and he looks up and he sees that the camera is right there and changes what he's about to say. So it was really kind of, it was really kind of fun. I really enjoyed that whole experience. I, you know, I, and that kind of brings me to my next point. What I wanted to talk to you about is that, you know, over the past, I would say two months or so it, you know, you've. I, when we really caught notice of it, when Bundy really went off about it, we started looking in more and we're like, wait, there's really a good point here when he's talking about how, you know, NBC Sportsnet uh, or whatever it's called nowadays, it's changed its name 5 million times. It, when it, they go and they, they, they're not, they're too corporate. They, it's ruining the culture. You talk a lot about how last week with the, the Flyers having a game or what have been Mr. Snyder's birthday um, and no mention of it at all. And at, we, we talked about that in our last episode and I was really fired up about it because, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm one of those old school fans where I grew up in the nineties, two thousands through the lockout, you know, even the post lockout, lockout in the, the salary cap era, adjusting to that, they always seem to be competitive. The, the issue is now it seems is that you talked about how, like, it seems like the culture has really changed behind the scenes. And I really want to get your perspective because even as fans, we, we really can see that some, you know, and they, you talk about how they put out statements and, you know, tweet about things where the, the organization essentially tells you to go pound sand. It's just a couple of people. But, you know, we really see that there's a difference in this team, not just the on ice product, but everything else about it from when Mr. Snyder was the owner and back even post lockout, post lockout to to now where it just seems like to be this corporate thing where they're not good enough to get far, but not bad enough to keep people disinterested. And it makes them all the money there. And I really want to get your perspective of how much that culture has shifted from your time there and from the nineties to where it is now, it's shifted, it's shifted dramatically. I mean, it's dramatically just in the past five years um, since Ed Snyder died. I mean, uh, as someone, I could tell you as someone who worked there and as, and look, I got laid off. Okay. I got laid off there. My whole department was, was let go um, because of the merger with NBC um, and, 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 you know, not getting into the gory details, but that was why we were let go. Um, and as someone, you would think that someone like me would be, 
you know, uh, jaded about it. And I will sit here and tell you that those people are the best people that I've ever worked for. That was the best environment I've ever worked in in my life. And I, yeah, am I bummed that I didn't get to continue to do that? Yeah, sure. But that doesn't mean, like, I hold all those people in the highest regard that I, that I worked with and worked for. They were really good people. And so you see that you see the change in the last five years. And, and the change has been, it, 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 it becomes more corporate because you start at the top with Dave Scott. And Dave Scott is a cable guy. He's not a hockey. And I know he gets so mad whenever we say <laughs> you're not a hockey. Guy. He gets so frustrated. Look, the guy has hired Bill Barber to be like his personal hockey coach. Okay. Yeah. Good. For, good for him. That to yeah. me, like, I don't, I don't make fun of him for that. I think that's a good thing. If you really want to be involved and be the C, you know, the chairman of the flyers, you got to learn the sport and learn you know, and if you're going to pick a hall of famer to teach it to you, that's great. But it starts there in the sense that he doesn't have that hockey background. So he's going to decide, he's going to run things like he ran the cable Business, business right like like the cable. and we how many how long have we hated comcast as a cable company <laughs> right. in this area right Since i mean day so, one right, exactly <laughs> exactly so i mean so it's but that's how that they that he would run it then he hires um valerie camillo who comes in and replaces ultimately replaces sean tilger sean tilger was you know the the chief business officer now now valerie's in that role um and she's the president of the team um or the, i'm sorry not the president but the governor uh the, the uh, alternate governor for the team um and so she runs the show and she comes in from the washington nationals now what she did in washington you got to take take into consideration what you had down there you had a baseball team in a transient town because okay, people come, people right. live in Washington, live there, and they go, and then new people come in, and they go because of all of because of government, right? So you have a transient town, and so it's hard to really build up a fan base. So she did this whole thing with Natitude, which was her big thing that they started down there. Uh, that this fan thing was Natitude, and it kind of coincided with the Nationals getting good in time to go on their run to win the World Series, and so therefore, automatically, it's assumed, well, this will work anywhere. So what the, what the goal was, was that we're going to bring in a new, younger, hipper audience that is different than what they've ever, baseball's an old stodgy sport. We're going to bring in this new, young, hip audience. So she comes to Philadelphia with this approach, not quite getting the fact that Philadelphia is a tradition sports town. And what I mean by that is you might have a younger, you want to appeal to a younger audience, that's fine, but the younger audience learned their sport from their the generation before them who learned their sport from the generation before them and it just keeps getting handed down and so that's why you, you sit there and say they this this market cares about its past it cares about the alumni it cares about its history it, it matters to these people and to to blow it off or to just shrug it aside is 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 crazy and that's why it's they've they've pissed off Longtime season ticket holders. They've frustrated longtime fans. Yes, it do doesn't help matters that the team is mediocre or bad. That that only exacerbates it, right? right. But if you've had a bad season in the past, I, I mean, I can take you back to the early 90s when the Flyers went five years in a row without making the playoffs. They still sold out that building. Correct. Right? They still sold out the spectrum. But I'll take you back even more recent in 2006-07, worst record in hockey. Worst record in hockey. Still sold out every night. Still so. I mean, there were. I mean, I can remember games towards the end of that season where right. you'd have a thousand empty seats or people weren't coming, and that's fine. But they were still. They were still communicating with the fans. We're going to get good again. 
We promise it. Next year, we'll be back. Stick with us. Let here, let's give the fans. They had all kinds of perks for fans that they were doing. Whatever the fans wanted, they made it happen. They just kept it, kept it up. They stayed on top of it. Yeah, it helped that they got good again the next year, but the fan base wasn't going anywhere. It had it had the the Flyers had cachet, right? They they had you know they had money in the bank, as Elaine Vigneault used to say, right? Yes. They had money yeah. in yes. the bank, yeah. and that's what it and that's what it was. Now they don't have that anymore. You don't have the money in the bank anymore. Now it's like either you're good or we're out. And I think the Phillies are experiencing some of this too. It's Correct. it's been so long for the Phillies that it's like, yeah, we're not coming back until you're good again. Yeah. Because you you you've lost that money in the bank. And I think that the Flyers who were immune to that for for decades suddenly now are not immune to it. And and the approach that is being that is being taken to ignore the past wipe out you know we don't need to talk about the alumni we don't need to have anything for them or or anything like that uh we don't need to and it's it, it I, I never expected the the ed snyder birthday thing to go the way that it did i didn't expect it to take off like it did my argument wasn't necessarily that they, they didn't wish him a happy birthday but that it was an opportunity to sit there and say we're playing a home game on the birthday of the, our founder take 10 seconds zoom in on the banner Put a little message up on the board. The message all had to say, uh, remembering our founder on, on this day, uh, on his birthday. Thank you for everything, Mr. Snyder. Boom. You didn't even have to say happy birthday. You didn't right. have to mention that he would have been 89. None of that stuff had to happen. It was just a matter of let's recognize where we came from. That's and, all. And, and honestly, it's, it's not, in, like you said, it's not a matter of making sure that they say happy birthday to a guy that's like, it's no secret. He's been dead for five years, six right. years, almost like it's just a, just mark. They're going to market it. I think we all three of us can say next year, they're going to on January 6th, they're going to say, we want to have a home game on January 6th and we want to make Ed Snyder day. Like, I think that's a promotion that they have acknowledged that they need to do. And that's what they're going to do probably starting in 2023. Like if I'm a betting man, that is what I'm going to bet. That's like fine. That, and that's fine. And that's good. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. There's nothing it, wrong with that. It's a simple thing that this organization has lost is my point. Like they just have lost the, the, the simple thing that goes a long way for this fan base over the last, as you said, five years, six years since Ed Snyder died. And it's, it doesn't seem like it's returning anytime soon. And that's the sad part. Yeah, despite let, what they say. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and last, last year, Russ and I, we had a, um, uh, a private meeting, and I, I won't say with who, but we had a meeting over Zoom um, with one of the uh, one of the top executives, um, not Val, not uh, not Dave, but you know somewhere just below them. Um, and we were just talking about these kinds of things, like and like you know he's like, well, yeah, he, he's asking us like, well, what do we think that they're doing wrong? Which, and I said to him, I said, um, do you know what today is? And he, he said, no. I said, I said today's the anniversary of the shift. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, what's the yep. shift? Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, this is a perfect example. Yeah. I said, so you don't have to go back to the broad street bully days. I said, but if you put out on Twitter, just, you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was, I don't think it wasn't 10, I guess it was, it was against Buffalo. It was, I think it was, they had a no, minute. Shift. It no, it was the, Pittsburgh. It was Pittsburgh. It was the, Oh, the, uh, the Drew checks. Yeah, Drew Check. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think it was, I think it was 10, it was 10 years at the time, whatever it was. It's the anniversary. Checks Crosby goes down, scores the goal, and they win the playoffs. They win this playoff series. Um, like you put that video, you put that video on Twitter and just say 10 years ago today or whatever it is. Boom, that's all you have to put out. 
that's going to be watched over and over and over, retweeted, liked, loved the fans. That's engaging with your fans. That's what they want to see. That makes so much that concerns me so much for what this franchise is going to be for what is the best play offensive forward in Claude Giroux. Because yeah. that, like, what do we do with what do they do with him in 10 years, 15 years when he's not in the league anymore? Doesn't matter where, whatever his future is in the current season. But like the fact that we have an organization that doesn't know his most famous shift, literally mm-hmm. called the shift. Yeah. That 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 concern that should could, should concern every fan that's listening yeah, to this podcast. I, I, and so the the guy says to me, he's like, you know what I really love about this fan base, Anthony. I said, what's that? He said, it reminds me so much of Pittsburgh. Oh, and I I nearly I nearly I, I nearly choked. I, I really did. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, say that again. And he said, it reminds me of Pittsburgh. I said, in in what way? I said, because with the exception of the Steelers, who can do no wrong in Pittsburgh, the Penguins were bankrupt and were ready to be moved to Kansas city before Lemieux came in and saved them. Nobody goes to see the pirates like, and they don't have a fourth team in town. They're a yeah. one sport town. They're a Steelers town and the penguins. If they're good, if the penguins aren't good, they don't care. Yep. Uh, I, I said, this is nothing like Pittsburgh sports is a religion in Philadelphia. This is, this is what we talk about on Sunday when we come home from, you know, from our place of worship. This yeah. is what we do. We talk about sports. We sit around the dinner table and talk about sports. This is, this is what, it's our life here. And, you know, when you grow up here and, and, and you experience it, and then to see this and be like, guys, we're just trying to make, help you be better. I'm, I'm not sitting there telling them that they need to go away. You know, you're terrible. You're awful. Get somebody else in your spot. Be better. That's all I'm asking. Just yeah. be better at your job. There's a way to engage these fans. And, and, and to do it the right way, and it doesn't necessarily mean you need to build an assembly room on the, on the balcony level where people can sit on couches and sit by the fireplace and sip their bourbon and not watch <laughs> Revolutionary hockey. Revolutionary row. Right? Yeah. I was going to say that. It's the like, truth. You don't, you don't need that. Yeah. You don't need any all that. You don't need a rage room to break stuff. Like yeah. that—that doesn't—it's not needed. I forgot it's, about the rage room. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know if I don't even know if it's even there anymore. To be honest with you, right? But, yeah. but I mean, I, 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 like you don't need those things, you know. I, I, I don't even I don't criticize the, the look. Gritty was a huge success, right? I don't so I don't criticize his existence. My criticism of of Gritty is that he's used as the face of the franchise. Oh yes, yes. I said have, when you have players that you could use. Instead. Correct. Thank I, I said in the beginning of this season that if they were unsuccessful, like we had high expectations for a lot of us did for yeah. this team. I said, if they fail this season and it looks like we're going to be failing for all, not just this season, like this is the final year that people are going to give a, 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 a fun pass to gritty. Now it's like, all right, we get it. Gritty's there, but like, let's get some ice product. Actually. That's good. Like yeah. that, 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 that's where I, what I saw from that. And it's, and it's happening. I think people are getting tired of gritty, but it's just, we can have them, but you also got to have what good ice product. And that's not what we're getting right now. Right. And that's, and that's the thing. I mean, you, but it's even still, I mean, even if the team's not good, I'd rather see a promotion with Claude Giroux. I'd yep. rather see a promotion with Joel Farabee. Farabee's a good, Hey, he's a great talker, man. Like I mean, he's a young kid. He's going to be here for a while. He's going to be the, he's going to be part of your franchise for several years. Like put him out there out front. Like he's funny. They did a whole thing with, uh, they were doing charades with, um, with, with gritty, but it was with, <laughs> with fat, but it was with Farabee and Cam Atkinson and they did it in the arena. And I said, this is funny. Like these two guys are very funny trying to get 
guest charades. Like you should be marketing these guys. Correct. Yeah. These Correct. are the players. Make us make your fans get to know who they are. Otherwise, they're going to be pissed off at them because they are not playing well on the ice, right? And they don't know who they are. They don't know what they're going through. They don't know if they have families and things like that or whatever. Get to know who they are. And guess what? You might get a little bit of leeway when you're not playing well. You, you, that's how you build that cachet. But this organization, these people, they don't get it. They don't understand Philadelphia. And that's what frustrates me. No. And it, you know, the most important thing to them is on the, in the intermission, putting on the scoreboard, making sure the little logo can hit the corner and bounce out. That's the big draw. Yes. The absurd. office, the office thing, yeah, yeah. the office uh, screensaver. Right. Yeah. And, and look, was that the first time I saw it? I laughed. It played, yeah. I was like, that's funny. Right. That's the, but now you do it every, every. game. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, when does this expire? At some point, it's got to expire. Uh, let's let me, get, oh, go ahead, Scott. I was just saying, I was wondering, do we want to touch base? Well, we're going to get a little COVID, a couple of COVID questions for you. Yeah. Before we do that, you know, this is, this is a strange season for the Flyers because as Bill just mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, they came in with high expectations. When we did our season preview, they, I looked at this roster and said, there's no reason this team should not push for like an Eastern Conference final. They're just that well-constructed. Chuck Fletcher did a pretty good job doing that. Now they've run into problems where injuries and COVID the, the question comes out now, you know, you look at the state, look at the standings today. Yes. Boston's got a couple games in hand, but essentially they're only seven points out of a playoff spot, but you're also at a time in the season where, you know, you're almost going to be halfway through. You have a trade deadline where what your biggest player is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Uh, and you have a hard decision to make with that with Claude Giroux. What, what, does do they view themselves from our perspective we look at it and say you know what i think they might still think they have a chance here once they get healthy and they can get the team on the ice and the beat and make up those points but the other question is there's got to be conversations that are going on right now about what they're going to do with the future you know there's been reports that elliot freeman saying that they're talking about Giroux. pro has been thrown out there in names as well where where do they where do they really go from here if this season does not work out the way they want it to what do they, what do they do it, a, it's really it's a, it's it's like the the $250,000 question. Yeah, you're, no, you're 100% right, Scott. And look, I, I think that they catch a little bit of a break by having yesterday's game uh, postponed. Finally, Carolina, one of, yeah, one of finally. them is actually postponed. Because it's Carolina, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. because of how good the team is that they were playing. Yeah. If you look at the, you look at what's coming up on their schedule. Look, I mean, Boston, yes, you got to catch Boston. They're not a great team this year, right? Boston's just whatever. And the Rangers are excellent. But after that, you have back-to-back -back with the Islanders, who's really struggled. Columbus, who's not very good. Buffalo, who's not very good. Dallas, who's a mediocre team. The Islanders again. The Kings, who we already saw them, right? And then Winnipeg. And then we get into that unknown February. Like, we don't know what right. February is going to be, right? right. Um, but, I mean, you're looking at a, a stretch of maybe nine games there, eight, nine games, where if you all of a sudden, you can, in those nine games, you can get uh, 14 points. 13 points, yeah. 13 points out of the, in those nine games, then you're probably back in this race. And you can sit there and say, well, look, now that we're getting healthy and we're, right. you know, we're going to get through this COVID thing and maybe with a full roster, we can get in there and make a run. But I, I don't, whereas I've been the person who's been saying, you got to wait, you got to wait, you got to wait, you got to wait, because nothing's going to happen before the trade deadline or close right. to the trade deadline anyway. Right. So you might as well give it a shot and see what happens. I'm at the point now where I'm not convinced that the the room has the the personalities that it needs to deal with any kind of game where they're 
where there might be a little bit more stress than than you think. And, and I say that because you know they've won two games all season after getting down one nothing. Yeah, I think it's two thirteen and two. Like you can't be that bad on one nothing. Yeah, it's only one goal. Game starts like that. Yeah, they've won one game all season when they're trailing after the first period. Like, like you can't get, you cannot. They get into a, they go into a panic mode. And I asked Mike Yo about this after the game a couple games ago, and and he says that they they just seem to get away from their structure. They get a little panicky, and and they start trying to cheat a little bit, like they cheat on the cheat on the play rather than stick with what they're the way they're supposed to play. And that, and that kills them because then what ends up happening is, is that now you make a mistake, odd man rush comes the other way. If your goalie doesn't bail you out, now it's 2 nothing. Then it becomes 3 nothing, and then, it, and then it's over, right? Forget it. You're not coming so back. Which is, right? ironic, which is ironic because this whole mindset that Fletcher had this coming into this season was we need to get more veterans. That's why you brought in Cam Atkinson. Yeah. That's why you brought in and Ryan Ellis, if we ever see him again. Like this veteran presence isn't giving the veteran presence that we expected Obviously, Ryan Ellis is hurt and COVID has messed up a lot of stuff, which we'll get into. But like, is this something that maybe we're just blinded and we're like, maybe Claude Giroux and, and Sean Couturier and JVR, they're not the leaders we're seeing. Or like, what do you see in the room there? Like, I think they're well respected from the outside looking at. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say specifically. I mean, obviously, pre-COVID, you know, I was in the locker room all the time. And, right. you know, I can see how guys interact with each other and talk, actually talk one-on-one with a guy, pull him off to the side and talk to him. Now we're doing everything via Zoom. I mean, even before Zoom, we were in a press room and we're all together, right? And, you know, we all get the same player. We all get the same, you know, the same coach at the same time. It's not, there's nothing individualized and unique. So we really can't get anything specific. Um, that said, I, I look at these, I look at the veterans that have come in here. You know, I think Atkinson's been a good player. I think, I think Ristolainen has been better than people thought he was going to be, right? Yep. Uh, obviously, Ellis hurts, you know, hurts you. It's not what you, not what you wanted. Um, I think that the guys that have let them down are the players that have been here. And that's, that's the problem. Um, Provorov has been a, a disappointment this year. Um, Travis Konechny has been an absolute disappointment this year. JVR is hot and cold, more cold than hot. Um, you know, those players, and it's interesting to me, by the way, JVR has been here for how long he's been here. And when you're missing your captain and your alternate captains, he doesn't get a letter. Right. Why yeah. not? That's a good observation. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Right. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. to me. Um, Kevin Hayes needs to, you know, needs to be better than, than and I know he's probably playing hurt probably you know he doesn't want, like to talk about it I, I get it you know but yeah they're just gonna but every team goes through those bad lucks uh, bad luck injuries you know every team has a Sean Couturier out for look at the Penguins they had so many injuries this year at the start of the season now they're healthier now but they won 10 in a row right right and they did it and they did it really without Crosby being Crosby yeah I mean guys that were scoring for them are second and secondary and tertiary players right and they're just getting Malkin back now, which yeah. is only going to make him better. It's only going to make him better. It doesn't make, and it doesn't make any sense. Like I thought this was the year that Pittsburgh was finally going to be right. We're going to go off. The, now I'm not certain that they're built for the playoffs. Cause I don't like their defense really. In all honesty, if we really get down to the nitty gritty of it, I think come playoff time, Pittsburgh's vulnerable. And Jari is too. What's that? And Tristan Jari is too. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, but, but nevertheless, they're going to be there, right? They're going to be in the playoffs. 
and you and they did it with all the same the same problems the Flyers had. They had COVID issues. They had injury issues. Why can't the Flyers players that are that exist pick up the pick up for that? Right? Why can't they do that? And so that's that's a question. Now you look at it and say, are these guys when we bring these players in? Are these players that we're bringing in, or we bring them in just looking at their their stats, looking at their you know their analytics, looking at and not really doing a one-on-one get to know the person, get to know what, what drives them, what fuels them. Maybe. And maybe that's, you know, when you go back and look at Chuck's time in Minnesota, I kind of feel like that was the same thing. They never really had those kinds of players that were, you know, going to go out and skate through a brick wall to win a game for the team. Um, and I think that, that if, there's a, if there is a blind spot with Chuck Fletcher, I think it's that. Um, and, and that's why, you know, it's, yeah, it's a bummer that Wade Allison was hurt this year and, and hasn't really had a chance. You know, he's going to maybe be back next week. Um, like, like a player like that would help. You know, I know that, you know, Frank Saravalli put out that the Flyers are interested in Lawson Kraus from, from Arizona. He's six foot five. He, he's got a little bit of, got a lot of size, plays a big, heavy game, would be a nice addition on the wing. Like, okay, you're, maybe you're starting to recognize that that's what's missing from your team. But I, I really felt like that that's that there's just that that intangible is the one thing that's not here. And you don't need every player to have it. But if enough players have that in, intangible, the other guys will will rally around that. And yeah. I think that that's what's I think that that's really what's missing. And without it, you're getting what you're getting. You, you yeah, get this kind of play. I, I wanted to we wanted to talk about this and you, you've given us so much of your time. And oh, don't worry we'll, about it. Keep going. I'm and fine. Like. Ivan Provorov and Carter Hart stick out to me because they are now what's becoming now because of the frustration with the COVID protocols. And you touched on this on your article on January 7th after the Flyers and Penguins game. The NHL has become very, very inconsistent Mm -hmm. in their COVID decisions on canceling games, postponing games and, and the like. The Flyers have been on the other side of this. Like they've had, as you said, six players out and they still made them play on the ESPN plus game the San Jose game before that. Uh, and it's just like Ivan Provorov and I think Carter Hart, as you said, are the, they're, they're galvanizing and they're showing that this entire league is a joke and the Flyers are just finally voicing their frustration, which actually is a positive sign to me. I think they're finally voicing their displeasure, trying to get something going here. I mean, Ivan Provorov hadn't missed a game since his, since he entered the league. Right. Like, that's no small feat. And it's like, to, for him to lose out, and look, I know that everyone in pol- and I, I'm I'm in political talk radio. That's my full time job. The the everyone is laser focused on the one line, yep. the regular flu. But if you look at the whole thing, he's right. He's a hundred percent right on how inconsistent this league has been. Carter Hart said it. Like, do we have any hope that the NHL is going to adjust their guidelines on the, on the COVID protocol? I think the NHL is the, the, the toughest of any of the base of the, the major leagues um, in, in North America because it's intercontinental. I was going to say because they have the most Canadian in teams and, and the like. So they yeah, kind of have it, to be. It, it becomes hard because you have seven teams in Canada and we can't dictate what Canada does. Right. I mean, so if they want to be if they want to be real, real strict with COVID, they're going to be real strict with COVID. Um 
I do think it's ridiculous. And, you know, and I, let me say this, guys, because tomorrow is an anniversary for me. Tomorrow is one year to the day that I um, went into the hospital with COVID. Yeah, um, and my that. my COVID story was was pretty crazy. I mean, I was in critical condition on January 13th, 2021. Um, and so I don't take COVID lightly. But at the same time, because of what I went through, I, I try to stay on top of everything involving COVID, all the research, I read all the studies, I read everything, not just here in the US, I will read what's going on in Israel. I think Israel's really got some great studies going on. They with do. COVID, yeah, okay? you're right. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah yep. you know, and I, I will read, you know, just in other countries, what other countries are going through. And I it followed Omicron through South Africa and how that worked there. And it was quick, right? And it came through. And I'm and I'm learning and I know a lot about it. And I sit there and I, I see what we're doing. And I see what these sports leagues are doing. And it just blows my mind because we're talking about professional athletes who are in peak physical condition, who are asymptomatic or at worst, they have a runny nose, right? Like a little, and they're all vaccinated. This is, this is a league with 99.9% yes. vaccinated. Are they players. the most vaccinated league? Yes. I feel they have. The only, I think the only player who isn't is Tyler Bertuzzi. I think he's the only one as a matter yeah. of fact, that's in the NHL who's not vaccinated. So they're all vaccinated and you're not nothing's happening these players are just sitting home yeah. they're not allowed around their team but and carter hart made a great the thing with carter hart's the, the best example of it all carter hart had the full-on flu was tested for covid came up negative he had a pcr too it wasn't just a rapid he had a right. pcr came up negative he did not have covid but he had influenza now he was pretty much knocked on his ass but if he was felt okay with the flu, he was more than welcome to go practice with his team, be in that locker room, be around his teammates where he could have given them the flu. Yeah. And they could have gotten sick, could spread. The flu has spread through hockey locker rooms in for years and years and years. It's a Petri dish. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hockey locker room is a Petri dish. Oh yeah. That's what, that's really what, so that could have happened. He gets better. He feels better. He's overcome the flu. He's ready to get back to practice, goes and takes a test. He tests positive for COVID has no symptoms. Now he can't go around his team. He could have when he was sick, but he can't now that he's healthy. That there's something with that dichotomy that I think that we're missing. And the one thing, and when I wrote that story, if you go back and you can find it, you do a Google search, my battle with COVID. I mean, it was a great yeah, story. It, I highly ranks. recommend it to it's, anyone. It yeah, still ranks we're up glad there, you're okay? doing better, honestly. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it still ranks on Google with that. But, but if you go back, the, the one thing that I really wanted to focus on, and this was a year ago, was we are, we have been peddling fear too much and not really talking about how to live with this virus because this virus isn't going anywhere, guys. Correct. It's going to be, COVID's going to be here for years and years and years. People are going to get it, all right? Vaccines don't eradicate it. The vaccines, you know, protect you against it, protect you against the worst cases of it. Um, so it's, it's more about how do we live with it? And we are now still, even a year after I wrote that, we are still living in fear of it as opposed to figuring out how to live with it. And that's my biggest problem with society in general. This is like your political conversation, Bill, right? Yeah. But this is for your political radio. But for professional sports, it's even more asinine. Yeah. Because these guys are, nothing's going to happen to these guys. I mean, I, I, I like, I, I, on our last episode, I had, I was, I'm double vaxxed. Yeah. I had five. And then on a, the Monday before New Year's Eve, I got the booster. Yeah. New Year's Day, I tested positive for COVID. 
and I had small symptoms. I had an achy back and all this stuff, but I felt fine. Like for the most yeah. part, I was like, this is the flu. Like Ivan Provorov said, and I'll be fine. Yeah. And, and I was fine after three days. I missed work and I was back, whatever. And like, that's, it's just amazing that we're still like, I felt like I was uh, a, 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 just like a, a harlot and I had to tell all my friends and family like hey I tested yeah. positive yeah. for for COVID like I felt like I was an outcast of society for those four days so for someone like me that had very few symptoms and then Ivan Provov who as you wrote in your article is just a physical freak yeah and like that's is is a fitness guru and just wants to play hockey he was gunning for what Keith Yandel is going for. Right. Like that's what, at the end of the day, that's what he was going for. And it's just very frustrating that the NHL doesn't seem to have any interest other than the green. Like right. they, they, and that's they, what it comes down to. Yeah. That's what it comes down to because that Flyers Penguins game was dictated solely by ESPN. I was given to, that was given to me by a very high ranking source. Uh, uh, when I asked, it was like, well, how come this is the case? Like they have six players out. And um, I was told every uh, I'm, I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to read it. I'm not going to tell you who it's from. I'm going to read the actual no, yeah, text message. Protect your sources. I will you protect said. the source, but I, <laughs> I'm going to read the text message just so just so you know, um, just exactly what we're what we're talking about here. Uh, da, 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 here it is. While, while you're doing that, and I think that's a really good point for you to bring up. And they had six players at the time because the, even the Islanders, when they went through that at the beginning of the season, the league wanted to talk about stop putting teams at a quote competitive disadvantage. Well, you've done that with a lot of teams now, and it seems like you're right because of the the kind the ESPN contract getting that back, the TV deals, everything like that. It's just it's all about the bottom line. Yep, Anthony, I can only comment off the record for background purposes, so please don't quote me. The NHL reviews every situation independently, so there isn't a set formula for postponing games. They look at how many players teams are missing, the quality of the lineup that you could put on the ice, the ease or difficulty of replaying the game if it's postponed, and implications for television. Teams speak regularly with the league about, the, about their lineups and advise them immediately of all COVID-positive tests. I can assure you that the league was aware of the Flyers' roster situation. At this point, the show must go on. My guess, and it is only my guess, is the fact that this is a national ESPN game had an impact on their decision. That's insane to me. Yep. They, yeah, all they, they wanted was the subscriptions for ESPN Plus. Yes. Yeah, nobody could go. Nobody could go to a bar and watch the game. Nobody knew it was on ESPN Plus. It wasn't right. on ESPN. It was on ESPN Plus. Need the subscription? That's that's completely absurd. That see that that is taking everything from my perspective and looking at from like a fan perspective and saying that's not putting the fans and the players in the best interest. You're only worried about that advertising. Yep. So there you that's go. Insane. That, I, it's crazy. And that's people, this is people in the league that are telling me this. Yeah. This is not, this is not some random schmo, right? I mean, this is, yeah. <laughs> these are, these are high ranking executives that are telling me this. They, they know, they know what's going on. And it happened last year. We all remember it when the Lake Tahoe game, that game should have been canceled. Uh, yep. There's no question yep. that game should be the game should have been canceled, not just because of COVID, but it should have been canceled because they had all the weather problems and everything else. Should have just postponed it. Like, yeah. hey, great idea. Let's try it again next year. Whatever. It just we can't make it happen. And then you know, they had to remember they had to bring in they had to bring in um, they because they, they weren't expecting them to play that game at night. They had to rent rolling uh, uh, lights. Yep. They yes. Bring them to the golf yes. Course, right. Right. The whole thing. Like the, the league was a mess. The whole thing was a mess. But because it was planned for television and because it had that beautiful look for the start of the game, like, oh, look at how pretty this is. And we <laughs> yeah. want people to see that. There's a lot of money in that. Could have seen yeah. it this year and it would have done the exact same exact thing. Exact same thing. Exactly. Exactly. 
So, and since you're since you've been around the team a long time, you know we every once in a while we get uh, great beat writers like yourself on, and I, I like to ask questions about uh, two things. First of all, tell me there, there. I know you've got plenty of stories about things that you've you've seen or heard and stuff like that. What 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 is one of your favorite stories like to tell people you may not tell too often? That just a fun thing. About, I don't know. If, I know they're characters in those late '90s teams, 2000s teams. What's one of your favorite stories that you like that you you've seen that happened in the locker room? In the locker room or locker room or wherever, just around the team itself. Um, so one of my, one of the uh, great stories that I have um, is uh, we were when, the year of the lockout. I was actually covering the Phantoms and I had this idea that I wanted to do a story on what the difference is like for AHL players traveling um, as opposed to the NHL. You know, the NHL players are on a chartered flight. And here the AHL players are on like, you know, rented butt, like these buses, like a, like a senior citizen bus trip to Atlantic city. Right. So <laughs> I, I decided to go on a, on a, uh, a trip with them that started in Philly, uh, went to Hershey, then it went to Albany and then it went to, I think it was Lowell, Massachusetts. And then it came, came back. So we were, we were doing like a big trip and I ended up sitting with chief. Um, that they gave the seat they gave me was right next to Chief. Um, so there, so, so the, the starts off with is we get on the get on the uh, on the bus, you know, and John Stevens was the coach, and you know, he immediately pulls out his computer and he's looking at the videos and everything else. And and uh, I said to Chief, like I, I'm on the aisle, and I'm like, you want to switch so you can see that? He's like, I don't need to see anything. He he looks down, and he goes, see that see that bag down the floor? And he's like, yeah. He's like, open it up and take out a beer. So I'm sitting there <laughs> having beers with Chief on the bus, which is great. Well, the players now they want to watch a movie. Right. So I forget who it was, but I guess it was Boyd Kane, I think, was the captain of the Phantoms at the time. And he goes up and they go to put in Napoleon Dynamite. Now, sitting behind me is the other assistant coach, who's Shell Samuelson. Shell Samuelson started freaking out, F-bombing the players. What is this epic nonsense? And you guys are... Jesus, this is the worst movie ever. He's screaming at them, right? And they're laughing and they're cracking up. And so then finally, finally, he stands up. He's so frustrated. He can't watch it anymore. He gets up and goes and he pops the DVD out. He says, I'm not watching this anymore. Put something else in. So the, so the players are like, oh, they're booing him. And then they get up and they go and put in um, uh, the trailer. Tra is it the uh, trailer, trailer park, park boys? Park boys? Yes. Trailer yeah. park oh, my God. Well, Shell, well, and that was it. He was like, <laughs> yo, mother. And he's cursing up again. And Baruby's like, you're going to need more than one or two beers on this trip. I promise you that with <laughs> Shell sitting behind you. So Shell is just outrageous. He was just totally, totally crazy. But that was a, that was a fun time, man, to really be able to, to get to know those guys. Um, a lot of those players actually, you know, went on and played for the Flyers sure. after the lockout was over. So it was really great to get to know them as younger kids. And, uh, uh, but that was, uh, that was a real fun, a real fun experience. I like to tell people about. And what, and, and your favorite player you ever had an opportunity to cover like uh, throughout your career. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably say this, there's a tie here, um, because I'm still really close with both of them. And that would be Danny Breer and Brian Boucher, um, oh, nice. both tremendous guys. Um, and, and they got it. They understood it. They knew what my job was. And they weren't, you know, they knew that there was going to be times I was going to have to be critical, but they also knew that there were times where, you know, we were just going to just going to talk. We were just going to BS and just have conversations. Um, you know, with Danny, it was really kind of interesting because Danny went through a very public divorce. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, I mean, I'd been divorced for 20 years, but 
uh, I had to raise my three kids on my own and Danny had three kids. And so like, we had a lot in common, like, you know, and he was like, Hey, you know, what's it like, you know, doing this and, you know, traveling. Cause we were, you know, I was traveling the same places he was going. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so like, he, you know, would, would kind of ask me about it. And so we had, we would have a lot of just life conversations that had nothing to do with hockey. And, you know, you get to know people on that level. And then when you start asking them questions as subjects, they're going to give you answers that are going to be better than most people will. Right. And so, so, you know, that you're good, you know, when you're getting an answer from this player, you're getting something that's honest and from the heart and that's real and not some BS line that they're just feeding the media. Right. So that was, that was great. Um, I'll give you one other story, one other story that kind of just came to mind. I forgot about this. This was a, this was fun in a lot of ways. Um, we're in Washington uh 2010 09-10 season and it was in january it was a sunday afternoon game and the hockey news had just dropped its latest edition which was an interview with mike richards and in this interview with mike richards i, um, I guess that the way that the writer who, who wrote it did the interview he did it via text right okay so he would text richards a question richards would text him the answers back and i guess you know the, one of the things that Richard said was, is that, you know, it's hard playing in Philly with the media because when you're going good, it's good. When you're going bad, they like to focus on, you know, stories that, you know, aren't uh, about hockey. And he's like, and sometimes people make things up and whatever. So this story comes out and, and we find out about it while we're up in the press box. Well, Tim Panaccio, Sam Carcitti lose their minds absolutely lose their minds that Richards would say this because now they're taking it as a personal affront that Richards is saying that they make up stories. Huh. Oh, so, right. yeah, so we boy. go down now the flyers lose the game and they lose the game on a turnover by Richards of all people. Right. <laughs> oh. So we get into, we get into the locker room and the first question, I forget who asked the first, somebody asked the first question about the game and Richards just gives like a kind of a basic answer. And then Sam and Tim start going after him about this article, which he had no idea had come out. He had not read it. He had not seen it. So like, he's trying to justify it. And so like, it was just back and forth and back and forth, this whole thing, this yelling and screaming at each other. And so finally they end the interview. Right. And so everybody thinks that the interview is over. So Richard's coming. I was the, at the time I was the um, chairman of the hockey writers of the chapter for the hockey writers association in Philly. So Richard's comes over to me. He's like, Anthony, he's like, you know, was I, did, did we, did I handle this wrong? Like, and we're, and we're just talking. Well, as we're talking, here comes Tim and Sam again, oh, boom, and they start screaming. And they're now Sam and Richie are nose to nose. Oh. Lavi comes, Lavi comes out of his office, has to separate them. Right, this whole thing—it's like this ready, this powder keg ready to explode. Sam, you go to this corner. Richie, you go over there, and they're yelling and screaming across the room. And we're all out there like, oh my god, this is crazy. So now five minutes goes by, people are trying to calm down. Here comes Pronger, sticks his head out. Looks around and he goes, "Keep stirring the pot, boys." Keep stirring. <laughs> <laughs> Which was awesome. He was That's great. Outstanding. He must Pronger have been was... another fun one to cover too. Oh, he was so good. His days. Oh, he was so good. He was so good. Yeah. But one of, you know, we did on Snow the goalie last year during the pandemic. We did all. We got all these former players and coaches and stuff to come on. That Pronger episode is still our most popular episode we've ever done. That's yeah. how. That's how liked he yeah. is by not just the Flyers fan base, but people around the hockey world. I mean, they, they listen to that. People are still going back and listening to that Pronger interview just because he was such a great interview and how fun he was to talk about his, his career and his life in, uh, in the game. So he was, a, he was a gem, that's for sure.
And I, I have one final question for you. Yeah. And it, 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 all the seasons you covered, everything, what was your favorite one and why? I mean, there, you know, you talk about the Pronger years, uh, Briere Boucher, 2009, 2010 comes up with that run, you know, the 07, 08 season where they rebounded, a, yeah. a lot of different. Te- what was your favorite one and why? Well, so the, the favorite overall season, I would say, was still um, 03, 04 when they go to the conference final against Tampa and losing seven games, that game six, when Pronger scores to tie it with like a minute to get a minute to go. And then Gagne in overtime, like that whole, that whole season was, that was the best team I've ever covered. I agree with you. I've said that so many times in this podcast, that team should have won the cup. Well, Hexall, I mean, um, Hexall Hitchcock said it to me when I did an interview with him on the pod, he said, my biggest regret in my coaching career is that I did not win a Stanley cup with a, 0304 Flyers. He says that was a Stanley Cup winning team. He wow. said if our defense wasn't as beat up as it was, and we were playing, they were playing Sammy, Sammy Kapanen yep. on defense at that time. That. If they weren't beat up, if Desjardins could play and, and Malakov could play and Markov could play, they probably beat Tampa and they probably beat Calgary for this for the cup. And then they would have won a Stanley Cup that year. Yeah. Um, that was my favorite season, but there's nothing that will ever top coming back from 3-0 against Boston. Uh, no, yeah. Totally. And that was, there, there was just the most incredible thing. That was the most, and that was, the th- and talk about Briere, they get down 3-0 and I, I'm talking to Danny in the locker room afterwards. And I'm like, I'm like, man, Danny, this is, this is not good. He said, it's not over. I said, what do you mean it's not over? He says, we've been the better team through these first three games. He said, and now we knock Krejci out tonight. He said, we could, we're going to win this series. I said, Danny, you're going to win four in a row. And he said, you watch. He says, we've been the better team through the first. He says, all we need to get is game four. He says, we get game four, we're winning the series. They win game four, and I see them across the room. Like, we make eye contact. And they go up to Boston, they dominate game five, yep. come back and win games. And then it's like, yeah, I'm like, holy cow, how did he know? How did he know? And then, of course, they're down 3 nothing in game seven. And it's like, all right, well, they made that run, and now it's over. And then, of course, they come back. And that, there was nothing like that series in and of itself was the best time covering hockey bar none that was something else that i don't know if anything will ever top it really you know I, it's weird because i was down there it was like when i first graduated college and i had been gone down to a ton of games and all that stuff that 29 2009 2010 season and i remember being there at game six against boston you just walked there and you're like they're winning this game tonight and and briere scored that that, that game winner that in, yeah. in the second period you know and crazy that season overall just as you bring it up brings me back memory lane because Think about how they started the season with Ray Emery, and then they went through all the goaltending issues. Went to Boosh. Boosh gets hurt to go to Leighton. Leighton gets hurt back to Boosh. Leighton comes back his first game back in, in that series, and, and they win it. Hey, I agree. The 03 and 04 team and the 2009-10 team are some of the most memorable ones ever. And I, you, you hope all the things that you've talked about with, with the Flyers, like you mentioned, and you know the things that we you put out and the articles and stuff, maybe that grabs their attention. Maybe they say, hey, you know what? That's what people remember. That's what they want to see more of. Hopefully, fans will be able to they'll be able to bring back more fans that way and, and really do that. It doesn't have to be Broad Street Bullies, guys. Correct. Does not. Agreed. It does not. It does not. Agreed. There's a lot of good hockey between 1975 and, and 2000, 2015. That's yes. That's true. So, yeah. Anthony, thank you so much for doing this. I mean, this was amazing. We, there's still so much. We honestly, we could do like another hour. We allotted. <laughs> hey, totally. We could we do another episode. Like Thirty you, minutes. You know, whatever. You could, next time you guys want me to come on, I'll come on. No problems. Absolutely. I mean, again, Anthony, the host of Snow the Goalie podcast and the intermission show. If Russ Joy ever gets his butt back to the games, we'll see if that ever happens. <laughs> Check him out on Crossing Broad. Uh, thank you so much, Anthony. Uh, we'll we'll have you back on any very very soon. I'm hoping. Any, anytime, boys. Love it. Love to do it. <laughs>